Welcome to Flashback, a podcast by the Okaloosa County Public Information Office. Get ready to dust the nostalgia off your sleeve as we talk with Okaloosa citizens who share with us how things used to be. I'm your host, Nick Tomacek. It's time to step into your imaginary DeLorean, tap your flux capacitor, and flashback. Hello, Flashbackers, and welcome to another episode of Flashback Okaloosa. Today's episode is about a place that's had many names since it was created. It has grown substantially over the years. It has a nationally recognized athletic program, has a top academic program, especially for people exploring careers in nursing, and also prepares local and international students for their college degrees. Yes, I'm talking about Northwest Florida State College, or OW, or OWCC, uh, well, however you want to know, but we'll get to the name part here in a second. Okaloosa Walton Junior College, as it was first known, was founded in 63, and in 64, the first students arrived to earn an Associate of Arts or an Associate of Science degree. The school was actually located first in Valparaiso to start in the area where the current Heritage Museum of Northwest Florida is located. The school's original location in the heart of Valpe was meant to be a temporary location until a more permanent location could be built. And that's a story that proved to be sort of controversial. But the first version of OWJC was actually part of a period of revitalization in that area for the city of Valparaiso. Here's a short excerpt from a story written by Emma Goggin, who is a reporter for the Northwest Florida Daily News, written for OWC in the 25th anniversary commemorative booklet. It was called Dodge City and Boggy Tech, this once business hub of Valparaiso that had the distinction of becoming a college. Rolling the calendar back into the 1920s, the business structure along the short street, which resembled the small town setting for a cowboy movie, housed a bank, a weekly newspaper, a jewelry store, hardware store, drug store, small grocery store, and a dress shop operated by the Howell sisters. When the two-lane highway, which passed through the then fringes of Valparaiso, was widened to four lanes in 1961 to 1962, the center of activity began to shift. Most of the businesses deserted the old downtown section for the busier four-lane John C. Sims Parkway. The ghost-like buildings stood vacant, about to decay from disuse, until the culmination of a dream materialized in the spring of 1964 the opening of Okaloosa Walton Junior College. Valparaiso's old business district took on a collegiate air as classrooms, administrative offices, science, library, and other facilities for the new junior college emerged out of these structures. The aged buildings were given new labels and a new life. For the charter students who arrived on the makeshift campus in August of 1964, a unique experience awaited them. They paused to listen to the carillon music floating over the campus. The music came from a quiet little community church, an interdenominational structure just around the corner from the campus. When the tempo changed as they rushed off to the bank building to attend their first classes, and later dropping by the Howell sisters' dress shop for a snack before trekking to an outdoor assembly in Perrine Park. The students referred to the campus as Dodge City. Others called it Boggy Tech by heck. So sung out spontaneously, as it was reported, six men at the opening assembly of OWJC Fall of 1964. Yes, even at the outset, it was Boggy Tech by heck. 
spoke with Tom Rice, who is also the owner of Magnolia Grill and an also an expert on local history. He just so happened to be one of the early students from that time in Valparaiso, and he told us what it was like in those early years with the first classes at Okaloosa Walton Junior College. Downtown, downtown Valpy, you know, uh, when, when John Sims Boulevard was four-laned, you know, kind of like Eglin Parkway and Fort Walton, the downtown was bypassed. You know, so little by little, you know, the, the Valpy Bank was still down there, but then they built a new building up on John Sims. Uh, you know, there was a couple of dress shops and a, you know, this or that. The, you know, the old bank building, the new bank building, um, you know, pretty much, you know, it was just a main street, looked like Dodge City in an old Western. You know, all these empty buildings. And so little by little, the college took over buildings one at a time. It eventually, in the time I went there, you know, I graduated from high school in, uh, you know, class of 66. So in 66, you know, the, the, the University of Okaloosa Walton Junior College was, you know, three years old. Uh, several World War II barracks buildings were drug in from places around the, you know, air base. You know, mm -hmm. the things that were being torn down or moved, they just put them up on wheels and drug them up there. Uh, put them in between some of the existing buildings on old, you know, the old Main Street of Valpy. Um, you know, no air conditioning. You know, that I think maybe there was a window unit in the president's office, but it was, you know, we would many, many times sit out under the pine trees in the little park that's there, Perrine Park, um, you know, and have classes. You'd sit there in the, you know, big long needle pine trees and sit there and, and you know, very laid back kind of uh, experience. Uh, but it was, it was you know, a couple of years for me, I went in the Army in 69, so, you know, a couple of years of, of college there and, you know, my AA degree. What, what kind of classes did you take? Oh, gosh, you know, it was basic. You had to take basic math, you know, a, a math course, a history course. Uh, one of the courses that I took, you know, you had to take something that was fun. And so one of the courses I took was Mr. Almonrood, Bill Bill Almonrood, William William B. Bill Almonrood, uh, taught a class that we had our choice. The first week uh, was to choose either Time Magazine or Newsweek, and I believe we chose. We voted Time Magazine, and that was the text for the class. Huh. And it was a current events, you know, current wow. events, and you got your grade by class participation. You know, uh, reading reading the the political articles or or news around the nation or news around the world you know whatever you know time time magazine came out every week as i recall um but that was that was the text you know and so that was if you participated that was pretty much help your gpa that was a pretty much easy a i gotcha okay you know uh lanny heath a guy named lanny heath was the athletic director uh and a, a miss rathke was was the athletic director for the ladies uh gaius bruce not gay but gaius uh gaius bruce kind of the roman pronunciation he had just graduated from from college himself and he he taught a couple of courses one of them was golf beginning golf <laughs> and and basically we stood out on a piece of green space someplace with a couple of golf clubs and just chip balls you know into a cup i mean it was wow and it was and and you got your credit um, for that particular PE 
you could go to the par three golf course at the surrounded WFTW on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. And you and you took your ticket back from playing a you know, playing a round of golf at the nine holes of the par three that surrounded Wilbur Powell's WFTW radio station. Wow. So so you mentioned athletic director. What kind of other sports were being played there? Was it, did that, were there teams or no? Okay. I don't think there were any. There were any. There was not. It's it's not the you know the college that we have today. Okay. You know, um, it was it was more intramural. You know, maybe some volleyball and all that. I I just okay. I remember the you know every now and then De- Gaius Bruce will come into uh, the restaurant. You know, he still lives around here someplace, and uh, you know we get to talking about how he he did he did enjoy teaching the you know the girls he he really enjoyed teaching the girls and we kind of fended for ourselves off to the side you know with a, a bucket of balls just chipping them, so. <laughs> that's interesting i hadn't heard that story i, I yeah. came i came across an excerpt uh from the 25th anniversary of the college and i guess when it started out students as you said called it dodge city and, and yeah but uh I, there's another phrase i came across boggy tech by heck Boggy you? tech by heck is is what Dr. J. McCracken, when he would, he came to Choctaw, like when I was, this would have been in the class, you know, my, in 65, 66, he came to the auditorium at, at you know, what, what is Meg's now, stood up on the stage, he was very enthusiastic, a young guy, you know, the president of the college, he was a young guy, he was, he was Scotch, um, stood up on the stage, you know, and he was just talking to people about coming to Boggy Tech coming to coming to the college in in Valparaiso, and and you know that's Boggy. It was always mm-hmm. called Boggy up there. That was one of the early names of, of right. that area, Niceville, Valp. Um, you know, and I know you got you got other sources to to tell you about Boggy, yeah. but uh, you know, but that was his his thing was Boggy Tech by heck, you know. <laughs> so, that's really And they neat. had they what what they did to uh, it was a guy named Brian Lindsay. And Brian Lindsay was the director of um, the arts department, music. You know, they had they had a little band. Um, you know, the you know the, the the all that all that stuff was was in a couple of old church buildings that was you know right down there near the campus. And they used one of the churches, you know, for classrooms. And and uh, but Brian Lindsay um, came up with this idea how to make it how to make the college known. And so they came up with the American Arts Festival. And the American Arts Festival, they had Hodding Carter came. Uh, they had uh, the guy uh, who, who did uh, Little Abner, uh, who did the cartoon Little Abner. Um, and Walt, let's see, what was his name? It was Walt Kelly was the next year. Um, but, it, but it was a, a, you know, they did it outside, was, you know, a, a, you know, Bob Sykes came. Jimmy Doolittle came to the to the wow. first one. Um, you know, General Doolittle came in and out of this area quite a bit. Huh. Um, but the American Arts Festival was held, and that was very exciting. You know, it was open air stage. You know, and and uh, uh, these guys get up on the stage, and and the guy that did Little Abner, he was quite well known for his what a Serbic wit. You know, he was he was kind of like you know we have these people on Fox now and and MSNBC you know that are the 
talking heads. Yeah. And he was kind of like that. He 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 was very irreverent to government, you know, and that kind of thing. Question here, will you comment on the Arab-Israeli situation? Well, I, I, I think it's outrageous for two million bloodthirsty Israelis to terrify 78 million helpless Arabs. He was a big hit, you know, but even in those days they brought in Agnes Moorhead uh, who was, you know, Indora in the the cart or the uh, TV show Bewitched? Ah, okay, yeah, okay. So, and movie actress, but you know, she was remembered mostly at that point for being the being the witch Indora. It was a very, very well attended event. And Agnes Moorhead, we were backstage. We got her a chair, you know, reading all the things you had to do to to get ready for an artist of this caliber, and. You know, a chair, the carpet under it, a little stand to put the books on. She made sure that the lights were adjusted just right. Where was the bathroom? She wanted to know where the restrooms were because she didn't want to go out in the lobby to try to find the restroom in a high school. So yeah. we, we, we found a, a – and the most important question she had to us, you know, and they were high school. You know, we're I mean, high school. We're college kids. We were very full of ourselves, you know, three or four of us on this committee. And she went, and who has the check? <laughs> and she, she told us she said so many things she was traveling alone going doing these one night stands and you know taking advantage of bewitched you know her fame yeah. and bewitched and she said so many times i do a show she said everybody comes up once their picture's taken or you know all these little shake my hand and all that and pictures with me the lights start going out and here i am standing there and nobody has given me a check mm-hmm. who has the check hey yeah <laughs> this was part of the the continuing um, exposure of the college in the community. Okay. So this was the concert and lyceum committee, you know, was formed, you know, it was seven or eight people. You know, Mr. Almond Road, the, the guy I was telling you about, the, 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 the book was the Time Magazine. You know, the, our text mm-hmm. was the Time Magazine. Um, you know, w- what they could do, you know, who could they get? And I think they probably paid her probably, you know, if, if they paid her $1,000 for an evening, yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, but it was, it was such a big deal back in those days. So. The first construction of the Knightsville campus was completed with the close of 1968, and the new seven-building complex opened its doors for classes on the morning of January 13, 1969. The college continued to grow and went through some name changes as well. The school changed its name to Okaloosa Walton Community College in 1988 and to Okaloosa Walton College in 2004 and in 2008 to Northwest Florida State College. You'll hear more about those name changes from one of our guests here in a moment. You ask some folks around town and they still call it OW. And funny enough, I found a photo of a yearbook from 1970 that had on the cover the name Okawajuko. The success of the college is undeniable, and I wanted to get a perspective on the growth of the school from someone who had witnessed it firsthand. Bob Richburg was president of the school for over 20 years and took the reins from the original president, Dr. McCracken. Richburg still lives in the area and still is a huge Raider fan. I spoke with him recently as the men and women's basketball team for the college was headed to the National Junior College Tournament, so you may hear some references to that. Richburg also names a lot of people he worked with over the years. I felt it was important to include all of the names he listed. Many of the names I did not recognize. And because of that, maybe you haven't heard of them either. They are names of the people that helped shape the college to what it is today. 
and they acted behind the scenes. So I felt that the recognition was important, and of course, Mr. Richburg did too. Now to the interview. First of all, I am thrilled with this opportunity because I absolutely love the college. And, uh, you know, I was there from 1987 until 2009. And uh, I never remember a single day that I did not enjoy going to work. And uh, I still miss it to this very day. Um, it was an era of just kind of rapid student growth, facilities growth, new programs. And we had such a wonderful, and we still do, uh, faculty uh, that were committed to students. And we had strong administrative leadership. I became president of the college, and prior to that, I had been at Chipola College for six years as its president. So when this opportunity became available with the, you know, the planned retirement of Dr. McCracken, I was just immediately interested. Um, I saw OWJC as a gem of a college just waiting to explode and grow. Um, and, you know, Dr. McCracken had done such a fine job as the founding president and had worked along with the late Max Bruner mm -hmm. and the superintendent in the foundation and creation of the college. And he started off working on good, strong faculty members, and we just we tried our best as, as we moved over here to continue that tradition. And, you know, I just can't help but remember uh, the late James Durham, who was Dean of Instruction, just a solid, solid citizen. And Ross Hamilton, the retired science specialist, if you will, and administrator, and he even became the uh, a collegiate high school faculty member. And Lanny Heath in athletics, and Ann James in student services, and Gaius Bruce. And several of those were founding faculty members who had their beginning over in, in Valparaiso and then moved to the new campus. Uh, later, we added such uh, outstanding leaders as Dr. Jill White, who was the vice president for instruction, and Jeff Shambera, who was the administrative vice president, Charlotte Cotton, who founded the Collegiate High School, Cliff Heron, the fine arts man who was responsible for the development of the programs in the Maddie Kelly Center, Janice Henderson in the Learning Resource Center, Barbara Jones in Adult Ed, and then Jim Chitwood, who helped us in the found, in founding and leading of the College Foundation. David Getch mm. was critical of the a vice president and the director of the Fort Walton Center. Mickey Inglet in athletics, and Mary Henderson in math. And when I came to the college, it had the strong leadership of Max Clark as chairman of the district board of trustees. And Max, the late Max Clark, is a, was a banker in Crestview, and he served for over 16 years. And I mention these trustees, Nick, because, you know, sometimes they're so behind the scenes that the public doesn't realize just the major role they played in the history of the college. Mm -hmm. And uh, a college president never, ever lose sight of the uh, District Board of Trustees. And, uh, you know, the I, Max Clark has passed on. Eileen Arpke is still living. She was a major player in the history of the college. 
Larry Anchors, a former county commissioner. He was a major player. Jeff McGinnis, a prominent local attorney. And Pat Byrne, a businessman in this particular area. And so I arrived in 1987, and in 1988, OWJC experienced its second name, and we became Okaloosa Walton Community College. And the notion of the trustees and me was that we were going to really open this college to the community, make it available, begin new programs, and begin a period of student growth. Uh, Those early, well, the late 1980s and and the early 90s saw us develop the College Foundation um, and led by Jim Chitwood and Carla Reinley. And the College Foundation just grew so quickly financially. This community just contributed like mad and major donors contributed like mad and it very quickly became one of the largest college foundations for two-year colleges in Florida and in the nation and uh, you know I just can't thank the donors too much for that that created scholarships which allowed us to grow and then another major development in the early 1990s was the creation of the new Fort Walton Beach joint campus with Mm -hmm. the University of West Florida. And it was very distinguishable in the state of Florida because it was the first and only standalone campus devoted to working with a university. Hmm. Now, there were programs throughout the state where universities had courses and programs on existing campuses, but we actually built one to work together, and as you well know, it continues to this day. Um, Another major development in the early 90s was the the development of the Maddie Kelly Art Center, and its opening actually didn't occur until 1997, but the planning for it began in the early 1990s, and we were so devoted to becoming a center for the fine and performing arts for our service area and creating some student programs that would just be the envy of the state. And and I think we absolutely succeeded. And, of course, Dr. Cliff Heron was the workhorse and the leader in that activity. And coinciding with the fine and performing arts is that we reinstituted college athletics and we were able to secure state funding to start men and women's basketball, baseball, and softball under a state continuing grant. And I still give great credit to Jeff Shambaro for securing that state funding through the Florida legislature. And then I give great credit to Mickey Inglet for creating those programs which are just nationally recognized programs. In fact, as you and I speak this morning, uh, I'm reading from the athletic director's email, Ramsey Ross, that the teams are getting ready to go to the national tournament. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be exciting for all of us. You know, in a way, with all of that activity and the acquisition of the Robert L. Sykes Library facility 
in Crestview occurred about that time, and that enabled us to begin offering classes in Crestview. And that center has become a dynamic center over the years, and we were able to expand it and uh, create a large offering primarily in the nighttime. And once again, I reach back to uh, Max Clark and the, the former mayor and other leaders in Crestview for making that possible. And while that was happening in Crestview at that time, we were also developing new facilities and programs at the Chautauqua Center mm -hmm. in Defuniac Springs. And the history of the college is just simply not complete without spending a lot of time talking about all that goes on up there. And it was led by a director by the name of Barbara Jones, who is retired, but she was one of the most dynamic people that we had in the college. And so we had cur uh, curriculum being offered up there in various fields, and we had adult basic education. And then back on the um, Niceville campus at the same time, we were completing a new science building and at that time, we had already begun planning for a potential transition to offering four-year degrees. So we built that science building to meet the specs of a university laboratory building. And we were very, very proud of that. And, of course, we opened the new Learning Resource Center in Knoxville, mm -hmm. which was a major library and a, also a very modern building in terms of offering technology. One of the things that I, I noticed uh, in studying the early part was, you know, there was there was a big call f uh, from the city of Fort Walton uh, and Walton County. They really wanted that main campus in their on their in their area, and so I guess it's it's a it's a testament to how the the college grew over the years to accommodate those needs for those students in those other areas. Um, One of the major contributions I think that uh, Dr. McCracken made was negotiating that natural rivalry between Walton County and Okaloosa County as to the location of the prime or the, the main campus. Yeah, And they chose the Valparaiso area, number one, because of availability and number two, because it was really pretty much the center mm -hmm. of both counties if you looked at it as a geographical area. Yeah. And then the late uh, Congressman Bob Sykes was very helpful in getting the acreage for the campus in Niceville. The Northwest Florida State College, to me personally, is a very unique uh, place. It, for a junior college, I think it really stands out. I've never seen it, it rivals some colleges and universities, uh, four-year places like that. The campus, gorgeous. I, I don't know how, who or how how they came up with the design of the water flowing through the entire campus, and then the facility at the arena is undeniably uh, incredible for a junior college uh, as a photographer um, the lighting in there is, is the facilities just at, at Northwest Florida State College are are incredible I didn't know if you had any insight well our Sam Marshall architects out of Pensacola were the architects while I was there and they were you know the lead on all of those buildings you've mentioned and our 
you know, our philosophy, and when I say our, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the board of trustees here and all the men and women who serve, was that, you know, you're going to get to build facilities one time, and you build first-class top facilities, and you don't, uh, you know, you don't waste money, but at the same time you don't skimp to the point that they look like uh, they're only going to last a few years. Mm. And so the art center, uh, where will you find another art center like the Maddie Kelly Center in the state college system? Mm -hmm. I don't think you will. No. Incredible. And uh, for sure the uh, athletic facility is, you know, that came about because of a cooperative relationship with the county you work for and um, where we were able to secure funding for joint use. In other words, you had two government facilities. You had the county who needed something for the emergency operations center, and you had the college that needed uh, facilities for its uh, basketball programs. And, and you're still uh, actively involved. You still go to all the basketball games, uh, all the home games uh, at the very least. Uh, I, we I do, know. and yeah. we watch the uh, away games on uh, live streaming, mm-hmm. and we'll be following the games out in uh, – Lubbock, Texas, and uh, Hutchinson, Kansas, uh, next week. We also attend the orchestra. You know, that's one of the things, you know, you start talking about the history of the college. I could tell you more, Nick, (laughs) because I'm just so proud of it. How many many state colleges or two-year colleges have a professional orchestra like we have? Right. And um, that was just part of the development of that Fine and Performing Arts Center, because I know I was personally committed that we were going to do as much in the fine and performing arts as we did in the athletics. Mm. We opened our first class of the Collegiate High School in the fall of 2000. And uh, that was a major, major program, programmatic development in the history of the college because it brought eventually 300 students, and I think that number is being increased now, uh, to the college who traditionally would have been students who would have gone away to university rather than coming to Northwest Florida State College. Mm. And the um, it's, it's just, it put life into the institution. It put students out there on a full-time basis. And they have, uh, the students have benefited so much as well as the college. And then the other major one, well, one of the major programs I would mention to you is the health programs. Uh, now when you, uh, well, I'm a good example here. I had shoulder surgery, and many of the nurses that were looking after me were graduates of our program at the college. And uh, that program developed in 2001 with the leadership of Wayne Campbell, who at that time was the director of the Fort Walton Beach Medical Center, Mm. and he challenged the college to move forward with the development of health programs, and so we absolutely move forward, and and now we even have a baccalaureate program in nursing. And in many ways, I think that Fort Walton Beach and Twin Cities, as well as the Crestview Hospital, were a little ahead of the game in terms of the nursing shortage in that they pushed their local college to develop them, and we, we did so. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, we move forward into uh, four-year uh, programs. And uh, as the state gave us that opportunity, we were the third two-year college to become a baccalaureate granting state college. And we created those programs in the early 2000s. And the first one was in project and acquisitions management. And that was tied, obviously, to Eglin Air Force Base and to the contractors around here and to the um, manufacturing. And then the, the other program was the baccalaureate in nursing. Mm. That resulted in the next name change to Okaloosa Walton College. And the reason for that was that you couldn't have baccalaureate graduates hanging their diplomas saying Okaloosa Walton Community College. <laughs> yeah because you were moving away from the two-year college um, uh, brand. What an exciting place. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely a yeah. marvelous place to work. And I've got respect and an appreciation and friendship for Dr. Devin Stevenson and just admire, you know, the energy that he shows for the college and its leadership and the development of new programs. And, of course, you know, the college was just so challenged during the pandemic uh, and some funding issues and areas like that, but it's just striving to to renew that, uh, well, just the tradition of growth and service. So I'm, I'm really pleased with that. And uh, we, we do stay involved, and it's both my wife and I, because Vicki was always a part of what was going on at the college. She's a retired kindergarten teacher, but she'd work all day long and then be with me at night at various student activities. And in fact, I give Vicki credit for the desire to redo collegiate athletics because uh, Vicki was so involved in our collegiate athletic program at Chipola when we came here and didn't have athletics, Vicki didn't think it was a real college. <laughs> so, she has, you know, she, she's maintained her interest and, and support. Yeah. And we do have friends. In fact, uh, you know, if I were to start thinking of my uh, social friends, they're basically retired people from the college. Yeah. And I've run through a lot of names. And, and Nick, that's important to me because what happened at the college was not a one-person activity. It was people. And uh, people leading in their own area and then pulling together as a team. So what a wonderful experience. I just, I just loved it all. When I think of higher learning, I think campus life, young love, classroom lectures, etc. But the administration that keeps the school running is structured in a particular way. And it's obvious after speaking with Mr. Richburg that the school would not have succeeded without strong organization. To explain the process, I reached out to Joe Lorenz. He served as the Board of Trustees' lawyer for 30 years. He explained his experience with the school and why that structure is necessary to be in place. My, my main function was to advise the board uh, at the meetings uh, that the board had. So I was present at, present at almost, I think, every meeting that the, that the college had uh, for 33 years. Wow. You know, first of all, the college is established under state law, uh, and part of the state law is that the um, uh, the college would have a board of trustees, 
who were appointed by the governor. And as those um, as those trustees um, rotated off of the board, or as the new governor was choosing, chosen, uh, then new trustees would come on and um, uh, onto the board. And the trustees were um, uh, responsible for, again, the day-to-day operation of the college because even though the major function or the major interest of the college was the education of um, uh, the citizens of this area, uh, it was still um, had to be operated to some extent uh, as a business because there were funds to be expended, there were employees to be paid, there were um, you know, there was construction to be uh, undertaken, and so it's certainly understandable that if you're a student, you might just see you know, what's happening in your classroom and how your education is proceeding. But there's another, you know, at least one other side to the college operation. Um, I, I I would just say that I very much. Um, enjoyed my you know tenure there as the attorney for the trustees uh, uh, the board changed many times over those 33 years and uh, I have to say that every every trustee that I had any contact with which would have been them all um, uh, were very um, uh, concerned about this area they did the best that they could uh, in what they did um, they were um, uh, very kind courteous people and um, I think they left this area uh, a very good legacy with the, the college. The school's mascot was chosen early on as the Raider, which is a tribute to the Doolittle Raiders, who trained at nearby Eglin Air Force Base before deploying a new attack on Japan during World War II, which involved using B-25 bombers that took off from aircraft carriers. And on the after deck of the Hornet are 16 B-25 Mitchell bombers. Never before have these huge planes been launched from a carrier. General Doolittle frequently visited Northwest Florida, so the Raider was an easy fit for the school's mascot. One of the school's biggest fans, and he better be, is the school's current president, Dr. Devin Stevenson. I wanted to reach out to him for his thoughts on the legacy of the school and the school's vision for the future. Uh, You know, at the same time, this college was Okaloosa Walton Junior College. I was attending Walker Junior College near Birmingham, Alabama. And the two basketball programs were major rivals. I didn't play basketball, but I played trumpet. Uh, There was a scholarship group of uh, band members that played at the basketball games in, in at our school near Birmingham. And OW, Okaloosa Walton, would come to play, and of course we would come here to play. Uh, and basketball was king at, uh, at Walker College. It was the sport, period. There, were, there, there was not another sport. It was basketball. And um, so that rivalry really got me tuned up to this institution. Although my career led me uh, to where I wasn't nearly as close to it, you know. Um, we would vacation here in Destin, but really didn't pay a lot of attention uh, to it. So I had a connection uh, and I received a call about this presidency. I had been in uh, Kentucky a year and a half. So I wasn't ready to leave, just to be frank. Really? Yeah. And I, after the first <laughs> phone call, I had a colleague of mine uh, who's a president near here 
And he said, Devin, you really need to look at this college. And I said, I've only been here a year and a half. We're doing great things here. I, I can't leave these people. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a second phone call when I said, you know, I'll maybe give it consideration. And then the third phone call was really an urgent kind of thing that said, you really need to look at the institution. You could be a good fit. They would like to have your application. So my wife and I came here uh, as tourists, uh, and we didn't look like college presidents or the first lady at all. We had shorts and sunglasses and ball caps and tried to, you know, come here incognito to see what this, yeah. what is this college really about. I knew O.W. from um, Oakless Walton from, you know, my college days. But what, what had, it, had it come to? Well, we got here, and... The first place we went to was Defuniac, then we went to Crestview, we went to Fort Walton Beach, and we came here. And we saw this campus, we saw the athletic piece, which we're very big into because we're extremely competitive. Uh, you know I'm a classically trained pianist, so the arts piece of that was big for me. Uh, and the connection of being able to authentically fit. You, you can't just fit, you have to authentically fit if yeah. you're a, a college president. And I realized that I could be a, a good fit. So I, I looked at the arts. I looked at the academic programs, which are excellent. Uh, I looked at the possibilities, the challenges, uh, and thought, you know, none of this scares me. Uh, I have worked at institutions that uh, have had similar challenges, but I believe I can do this work. And if we assemble the right team, get everything in place, we can really make some great things happen here. And I engaged along with 130 other people that wanted to be the college president. Wow. And somehow, Nick, I came out on top. I don't know how. Uh, but it, it was a good thing. We bought a house, moved in that quick. Yeah. Here in Niceville, are you guys? We're in okay. Niceville. We've lived here in Niceville the entire time. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I imagine you felt that was important? or Yeah. And, and here's the deal. Um, Judy and I are actively engaged in the life of the institution. A president cannot be um, disenfranchised from the life of the institution. Uh, and so we had to be close by so that we could get to the art event, so we could get to the athletic event, so we could be at the, the evening meetings. Uh, it's just not feasible to live 45 minutes and, and be effective in the leadership role. I mean, we're, we're champions for the college, we're champions for the students, and it's important that I be engaged. And, I, and I'll tell you this, if the leadership is not engaged, what I found is that people will mirror that kind of image. If I, if I as a CEO, if I'm not engaged, my, my leadership team, our leadership team is not going to be nearly as inclined to be as engaged because they don't see the president. The president does play a critical role in setting the culture setting the pace for the institution. So talk about some of the things that, uh, some, of, some of the changes that you've, you've seen since you've been here, uh, maybe instituted, and what that has done for the college going forward. Well, I, I think, you know, if, if you look at the enrollment numbers, uh, all community colleges, all almost 1,100 across the country have suffered because of the pandemic. But prior to that, as far back as probably around 2010, 2011, enrollments in community colleges began to decline. And it's a national standard. I will tell you that uh, it's been difficult 
to, to figure out, to understand, to synthesize why colleges have suffered enrollment. You can't really put your finger on it because traditionally when the economy has such a, a dive, when it, when it declines, enrollment at the state colleges and community colleges increased. It's been that way. It's been that way since they started. You know, some, most of the lion's share of institutions like this one started in 19, this one started in 64. Uh, but in the 60s, uh, you, you saw the greatest increase. There are some that started as early as uh, the 1940s. The very first one started in the early 1900s in Chicago, Illinois. But all of them have experienced the same kind of dynamic. And we're still trying to figure out what this is all about. We're still climbing out of the pandemic. So I think the greatest challenge, we're narrowing the gap and we're, and we're seeing our uh, 2020, 2020 numbers beginning to, to come closer. Uh, in fact, it was that spring semester. I think this is the number one challenge you asked me about, Nick. The number one challenge is enrollment. Because in that, in that particular semester, prior to March of the pandemic, we saw a 2% increase in enrollment. And that was a sign. I mean, we were feeling great. Because here we had now begun to turn around what had been a 10-year decline, a decade-long decline. Uh, and then on March the 13th, we shut the college down because of the pandemic. And we suffered ever since. And so now we're, we're beginning to see um, a, a slight turnaround. We've been able to retain uh, our stability financially because we have excellent people here. We monitor the numbers on a monthly basis. We operate this institution like a business and we know where we're going. We are not going to outspend our revenues. We're going we're to be conservative and we're going to do what we need to do there. So finances, enrollment, finances, and then the most important, I believe, is relevancy. And that's keeping the institution relevant to the community. And right now, the most relevant thing we can do is workforce development and job training. We're not going to turn our back on the university parallel, the uh, associate arts programs, because those are phenomenal. Yeah. And students that want to transfer on uh, will do so and do very well from here. I mean, the, the proof's there. Our students do equal to or greater than the native students that start at universities once they get there. So we're never going to abandon that mission. That mission is critical to us. But right now, business and industry is critical to economic development in this region, and we have to rise to that occasion. And that is why we've started the construction trades, uh, because there are almost 8,000 jobs needed right now. There's a shortage. Um, that's why we started culinary arts and hospitality, because of the industry here in such demand. Uh, that's why we started uh, the aviation program because you've got Airbus, Singapore Air, Lockheed Martin, you've got uh, McDonnell Douglas, all of these agencies are saying to us, just had a significant contribution from Aerosource uh, to that aviation center. So we built the best practice nationally there. We're trying to do everything we do excellently. We just don't want to be mediocre. We want to be the best we can be. And that's why I'm always asking, well, if, if you're at 98%, why can't we get to 99%? And if you're at 99, why we can't, can't we get to 100? Uh, it's always that quest to improve. It's continuous. And you know, that grates on some people. People that, that strive for excellence really bug the hound <laughs> out of folks that live in mediocrity. 
but that's the way that we keep pushing the institution forward. Uh, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And, um, you know, as a, as a leader, I'm going to hold myself accountable to do that. And I'm going to hold our personnel accountable to do, as an institution, what we say we're going to do. And, you know, speaking of being the best and, and not to put down any other department because academics and the arts are critical, I think, for the, for the college. I think you'd agree, but our, your athletic program is uh, consistently excelling. Uh, men's basketball team winning a national championship. Yeah. Uh, well, it's important to us. You know, uh, you, you realize that a great number of the athletes that we have are from underserved populations. They're from educationally disadvantaged homes. They're from uh, economically disadvantaged homes. They would not ever have an opportunity if it were not for collegiate athletics. When I am on an airplane or I'm out in the community and I'm wearing this pin that I'm wearing today or monogrammed or embroidered clothes that say Northwest Florida Raiders, people say, I know that school. Y'all have the best athletic programs in JUCO in America. Well, that makes me proud, you know, and it does set forth a standard of pride, yeah. and not a vainful pride, but a pride that we do things right. And then I'll look at the, the athletes that come through here and how they move to Division One and make a mark. And they're always talking about Northwest Florida State College and how we gave them the opportunity and launched their career. So what I want to do is provide the resources that keep those programs on the bleeding edge of excellence. Mm -hmm. I want them to always be striving for perfection. It was Vince Lombardi, that the great football coach, that said, well, you'll never catch perfection, but if you chase it, you'll catch excellence. And so that's what I tell these coaches. Let's chase perfection, and let's do everything the best we can. So that's why, that's why we built that phenomenal new indoor practice facility for baseball and softball. Well, look, it's paying off. We're able to recruit higher level players and they never miss a day of practice. We're about to build the finest student housing that can be built, I think, anywhere on any college campus. Really? And it will be built and will open it August of 2023. We believe that's going to be a great recruiting tool, not only for athletics, but our our tuition rate is lower than Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia. We can recruit to this institution students who want to come here in these programs that are they're pretty exclusive. I mean, our culinary arts program is tops. We have a hydroponic greenhouse that a lot of people don't have. Uh, our new CDL program and our transit tech program and marine tech program will draw people here, but they can't afford the housing. They just can't afford it. So providing that to them is another component of this whole excellence piece that, that we're trying to achieve. Is that, is that going to be on campus? Yes, it is. Okay. And we're doing it a little bit different. We sold, uh, the foundation sold its long-held um, housing across the street. It bothered me from day one when I came here and I saw athletes walking across College Boulevard. Uh, as busy as that highway is, uh, and the weather, you know, you'd have rainy days. Mm -hmm. Getting it on campus gets them closer now to, how, uh, to, to their practice areas. It gets, it gets them closer to uh, the Student Life Center, to our Starbucks, uh, to, yeah, and to the, our cafeteria, our food service. Uh, and so it will be on the front of the campus. 
uh, will start out uh, with probably 156 beds. It could actually go bigger. The company, it's a public-private partnership that we're doing, so the companies looked at it and said after they initially submitted their initial proposal, well, we may want to build more. So we could have 200, 250 beds here in a first-class environment. You talk about relevance, I want to say this, and, and I think this is important. Um, we believe in keeping these programs relevant uh, with industry. So about two years ago, the radiography department came to me and they said, you know, we really need to advance our, our equipment because we're behind the industries using digital equipment. And I made the decision at that point that I was going to do what it took. Uh, and it's expensive. Let me tell you, it is expensive to bring that radiography program into the digital world. But we're doing it. And we, we really cobbled together, I hate that term is correct, but we cobbled together some federal dollars and some state dollars and college money, and they're going to be, this going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal program. It, it's, it's important to me that as a college president that I don't get stuck in using uh, me and the I word too much because this is a we mm -hmm. kind of deal. I just happen to sit in a chair that gets the interviews and I get the picture in the paper and I get those things. But really, it's the staff, it's the faculty, it's the leadership team that day-to-day -day makes this college run. They really do. I set a vision and I, I try to keep us headed in the right direction uh, and try to provide them the resources they need. But it's that group of people that day-to-day -day really make the difference. And I want to make sure we take care of them. I also want to say, there. The, the presidents and the board members that came before me and our current board, we're standing on their shoulders. Uh, you look at the work of McCracken, Dr. Mm. McCracken, who started this thing, you know, came here with nothing and made something out of nothing, followed by a visionary like Bob Richburg for 22, 21, 22 mm. years, uh, built this into a powerhouse. Uh, then you had uh, five and a half years with Ty Handy, who helped the institution sort of re-envision what it was like to look at career education, you know, and, and um, workforce yeah. in that regard. And then you have a president that's, that's like me, who tries to be, I guess, all, as much as all things to all people, because I love the arts, I love athletics, I love academics. Uh, I realize that we have to stay relevant. I'm a change agent. Um, and right now, changing is the critical piece of what we do. But I never forget about those people. McCracken, Richburg, Handy, that led the way. And then those interims that were in between, mm -hmm. that you know, kept things rolling in between those permanent presidents. And then those board members that had the vision to follow the president's lead. And I certainly can't leave this interview without saluting our current board because they've been with me every step of the way as I've laid out a very, very ambitious vision for this institution to set up all these programs and to expand our capacity in every way. They've been right with us, uh, and they help us think through things. I am not a know-it-all. I depend on people to help me with an idea or a vision, and, and I'll present it, and then I say, all right, you add meat to this vision. Let's add fullness to this vision. And I don't want it to be a tunnel vision. I want it to be, I want it to be, um, I want it to be full, and I want it to be future-proofed. And you got to help me do that. How can we make it better? 
And so it comes from, from collaboration and working together, but it also comes from a past vision, past visionaries and leaders who set this institution up for success. To outsiders, hearing about a junior college in the panhandle of Florida may sound like small potatoes, but it's clear to me and to those in our community that the impact Northwest Florida State College and its numerous campuses has had in this region is huge. It's grown from being a little known boggy tech to an accredited academic institution that teaches skills varying from nursing to the arts while maintaining a stellar athletic program and doing all of these things in facilities so inviting and next level that they rival four-year colleges and universities. I'd like to thank Tom Rice, Bob Richburg, Joe Lorenz, and Dr. Devin Stevenson for their time to help make this episode. And thanks also to April Sarver, who voiced the reading of the article from the school's 25th anniversary. I'd also like to thank Judy Lorenz for connecting me to her husband and Mr. Richburg. This episode was written and edited by me. The executive producer is April Sarver, who is our public information officer in Okaloosa County. Music in this episode was recorded and produced by me, as well as Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thanks for joining me on this trip back in time. I'm Nick Tomacek, and I'll see you around town.